0: In 2023, it's a new year, right? New year. And in the new year, we are going to focus on three books of the Bible. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And and these three books, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, are what you call the pastoral epistles. Pastoral epistles, pastoral letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And, these, and we're studying these letters throughout the year because through these letters, Paul to Timothy and to us instruct the church of what the church ought to look like, what the church ought to be. Paul instructs Timothy of what his duty should be as a pastor. And derivatively, as Paul is instructing Timothy of of of, of what it means to be a pastor, he also outlines what a biblical church, what a godly church ought to look like. One of the reasons why Paul wrote these letters to Timothy was because Paul charged Timothy To be a pastor in the church of Ephesus. And the church of Ephesus, like most churches today, was a hot mess. Ephesus, I don't know whether you recall. I think we covered the book of Ephesians like the second year I was here. Ephesus, the church in Ephesus was a city founded in Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of the major cities in the Roman Empire. It's a rich, diverse cultural city. Full of idolatry. Paul spent two and a half years in Ephesus teaching the Word of God to the citizens of Ephesus. The citizens of Ephesus were, one, were, were, were believers in an idol called Artemis, I think, a war god. And the entire city was just, it was Artemis' center. Everyone worshiped Artemis. Paul, in the middle of that city, started to teach at the synagogue called Tyrennus. And after two and a half years, the church was established. And one of the first churches of the Roman Empire was established through through Paul's teaching. But once Paul left the city, because he had to go on all the missionary journeys, the church started to have issues some of the issues were there were false teachers amongst them they were teaching a different type of gospel other other issue was the culture of that city was starting to bleed into the church and because the church was going through these issues and because Timothy was a very timid person just like Pastor Jay very timid Very, you know, very quiet. Very, like, you know, sensitive, right? Paul instructed Timothy to stand ground and to do the work of a pastor. The reason why I chose the pastoral epistles, to focus on the pastoral epistles this year, is because like the church in Ephesus, the church in the world, the church in America... Is also going through very tumultuous times. With the exception of a handful of churches, most churches are shrinking, like we're shrinking. One of the biggest church, Korean American churches around, they report a 50% decrease in their members since COVID. My wife is going to start a new position in a couple of weeks. That was a very active church, but that church is also starting to de- decreasing because of COVID. Look around you. These pews were used to be two-thirds fill. Now they're not. Because of COVID, people, for whatever reason, decide not to be committed to the church anymore. Not only that, locally, SPC is going through, you know this, SPC is like a Korean drama. It has drama and drama after drama it has good times, it has really bad times. It's a never-ending Korean soap opera, this, this church called SPC. And we're going through another drama right now. I've been here for what, eight years, going nine, going nine years this year, right? I'm on my tenure here, you know this. and Hiram was here longer than I have been. He'll, he'll, he'll certainly been around longer than I have been. But even in my short time here, I've gone through, what, three senior pastors? How many youth group pastors and Sunday school teachers? Good old passages here though, right? and so we 're going through transition. People are leaving, people are shrinking. Church is going through tr- tr- like this tumultuous time. What are we called to do? The pastoral epistles guides us because regardless of what the external forces, issues that, external and internal issues that we face, these pastoral epistles, epistles reveal to us, regardless of what is happening on the outside or the inside, what God wants the church to be. We can't control what, 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 what goes outside of us. We can't. And we certainly cannot control who comes and who leaves. We can't control that. But what we can do is to obey God's calling of what we're supposed to be. Even if we're a church made up of five people, right? And if we're made a church of five people, as long as we're faithful to the commands that God has given us, as long as we strive to conform to the image of the church that God has told us we should be, God gets the glory. What is clear in the ministry of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ doesn't really, he doesn't put too much weight into the visible numbers of his disciples. He put value on truth and what his disciples are called to be. Even if we have two people, it's just me and Sean, and Haran. Maybe just three people. If the three of us conform to what Christ has called us to be, God gets the glory. So we need to know, in order for us to not be so pressured by the changing winds of the world, we need to know exactly what God has called us to be. And this is what the pastoral epistles are about. And that's why we study this this for for this year. Okay? So let's go. What is the first issue that Paul addresses in 1 Timothy? The first issue that that Paul addresses in his letter is regarding false teachers. The very first issue that Paul talks about in detail is about the false teachers that are within the congregation in the Church of Ephesus. Why pretell of all the issues that Paul can, Paul can deal with the persecution that is happening outside of the church? Paul is writing this letter in AD 62. He's in jail because Christians in Ephesus are being persecuted. Right? He could have, very first thing he could have dealt with was persecution in Ephesus. But no, he says, first issue, false teachers. Why? Because I think, scarier than external persecutors, false teachers within the group is a more silent, deadly, cancerous entity than soldiers with swords that can try to kill the church. China, history of the Christian church in China is clear. The government, government, when the government tries to crack down the Christian church, the Christian church goes underground and it starts growing. In the Roman Empire, when Christians were being persecuted, that just gave the impetus of the church to grow more. External persecutions did not quench the church. What kills the church is the silent, silent cancerous entity of the church. And then cancerous uh, force of the church are subtle, false teaching. Subtle lies. things that sound very christian but if you actually think about it they're not christian doctrine at all what is killing the modern church is not covid what kills what's killing the modern church is the false teaching that people had about christianity and about jesus christ COVID just gave them the excuse to go with the false image of God they had in their heads. This false teaching that lies within people's mind about Christianity, it kills their faith. It neutralizes the faith. It makes their faith non-existent. Do you understand? Because false teachers are such a dangerous force against Christianity, this is the first issue that Paul deals with in the pastoral epistles. Paul has a very huge understanding about how the works, how the how God works in this world. Paul by experience and by his calling knows that the kingdom of God spreads within in countries within an individual primarily through the proper teaching of God's word the proper teaching of the gospel the proper teaching about God about His mercy, about His grace, about His wrath, about His judgment, about His saving grace in Jesus Christ. These doctrines which are prop- when they are properly presented, God and the Holy Spirit, God, through the Holy Spirit, uses such correct doctrine to persuade the mind and change the heart. That is the only way people can change. Through the proper teaching of Christian truth. That's the only way. How do we know? Number one, Paul in verse one calls it, identifies himself as an apostle through the command of God. God commanded that I become an apostle. What is an apostle? An apostle is someone who is sent by God. What is the duty of an apostle? What is the charge of an apostle? The apostle is charged with establishing, the, building the church in this building the church of Jesus Christ in the world primarily through the teaching of God's word. Look at Acts Look at James, look at 1st, 2nd Peter. The church was established primarily through the teaching of God's word. These guys, these 12 apostles that God sent, they went all over the world to do what? Preaching and teaching God's word. They did miracles. Paul drove out demons. Demons. They did miraculous things, but all those miracles was was to confirm the veracity of what they were teaching. What the Pentecostal church doesn't understand is they think God is just in it for the miracles. No, it is not. The miracles that God, God allows in this world, it is so that to confirm the veracity of the truth of his word. What did Jesus Christ primarily do in this world? He primarily taught. Do you know this? Before going on the cross, before all these things, he came as a teacher to teach the word of God. That's how people are converted. The proper teaching of Christian doctrine. Paul calls himself an apostle because he knows that's his job description. Go to different cities in the Roman Empire to preach and teach the word of God properly because he knows that those teachings are the only ways in which God God changes human lives. And he experiences this in the church of Ephesus and in the church of Thessalonica. And in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Thessalonica, everywhere he went, He taught, he taught, he taught, people were converted. Look, I went to New York City this past week. I was there from Monday to Thursday. And we walked around, we walked everywhere, because let's frankly, it's it's end of the year, traffic was a mess, it's faster to walk in New York than taking Uber, right? So we walked everywhere. And the thing about walking everywhere in New York is this. You get the feeling what the city is about. When you see the billboards, when you see the storefront display, it is clear what the city is about. Maybe the reason why I didn't like New York as much as I did when I was younger but because the message of the city was more obvious to me. It's more obvious to me. Ephesus, the city, was a city full of idols. It's like the, the, the Artemis idolatry store is everywhere. Just like I Love New York stores are everywhere, the teachings of Artemis, the idol, idol, the idol was everywhere. These people were born and raised into the culture that worshiped Artemis. Just like modern day New Yorkers are born and raised in a culture of wokeism. How in the world can a person raised in such an environment change? The Word of God, properly taught. You understand? It is Paul's calling. That's how he understood himself. It is Paul's experience that how the word of God changes people. That's why Paul, when you you go through 1 Timothy 3, teaches us one of the very basic qualifications of a pastor. The most basic qualification of a pastor is the ability to teach. The ability to teach means in order order for someone to be an elder slash pastor, that person needs to be trained. The person needs to be skilled. That person needs to be passionate about the word of God. That's what you look in a pastor. There are other duties that pastors have to do. Praying for you, that's true. Right? rule overseeing you, right, in charge of you. And that's all true. Those are all good. Those are all godly aspects of a pastor. But the number one calling of a pastor is to teach the word of God properly. I am not called to be a holy man before you. I am not called to speak tongues before you. I am not even called to testify the miraculous things that God is doing to me. And that those are all maybe true. But my primary calling, Pastor Eugene's primary calling, what I will be judged for is how properly I handled God's word. Because handling God's word is the only instrument through which God changes people. It is through the proper communication of doctrine. When your mind grasps the doctrine, when your heart changes in response to the doctrine, that's how salvation works. Look, just because you have A lot of idea about Christian doctrine, intellectually, it doesn't make you saved. The most horrific mass murderer of the 20th century was Joseph Stalin. He killed millions and millions of his fellow countrymen. Joseph Stalin, before he became a dictator, when he was a young man, when he was June's age, he was a seminarian. He wanted to be a priest. And when, he wanted to be, and when he was a young man, he memorized all four Gospels, including the Gospel of John. You know how long the Gospel of John is? He memorized all four Gospels word for word, line by line. Do you know all four Gospels line by line, word for word? I don't. Stalin did. Do you think Stalin knew the word of God? I think he did. And how can a person who knows the word of God in such detail become the mass murderer of the 20th century? He killed more people than Hitler did. How? Because, just because you know intellectually what the doctrine is unless the Holy Spirit bleeds it into your heart it doesn't become it doesn't bear fruit in you it is through the communication of the word of God and the Holy Spirit using the communication to change your heart that's how you're saved because Paul considers the word of God such a paramount importance He views false teachers as a threat. What were these false teachers? What was these false teachers teaching them? Verse 3: I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain people not to teach any different doctrine. So one of the first things that Paul Tells Timothy to do is to go to certain church people and says, "Stop teaching, stop teaching those false doctrines that you're teaching." One of the first things that Timothy is called to do is to stop people from teaching us. We need more volunteers to teach small groups, youth group, and you know Sunday school. Right? There's a demand for teachers. But Timothy's job was to go and stop people from certain people from teaching. Stop serving, stop teaching. Why? Because the te- things that you taught teaching are false. What were these false teachers teaching? They devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. What in the world does that mean? What were they teaching? What is this myth and genealogies about? We don't really know exactly what they were teaching, but this is what they say. This is what the scholars say. These guys who are false teachers, they were reading, not Old Testament, right? Not the Old Testament that we know, but they were reading extra extra historic Old Testament books. Not the canon books of the Old Testament, but other books about Moses, other books about Abraham, other books about the fathers, so they were focusing their attention not on the Old Testament canon but on myths, legends, genealogies about Old Testament figures. Right? Like, you know, what was, what was a dumb book that I captivated 20 years ago? You know, how about, you know, the book about Jesus being married and stuff? The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. It's like the Da Vinci Code. Like, reading, like you, you read this dumb book, right? Oh, and I go, oh. This is what God means. Forget the Old Testament of what God has to say. I got this new book about Moses and Abraham. I got these new myths. And from those myths, they were teaching people in Ephesus something that is incorrect. This is what they were teaching, for example. They are saying, yeah, believing Jesus is important for salvation, but in order for you to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus. Plus, you shouldn't get married. Sean Stark, you're in big trouble, man. You're going against God's will. You know this. Look at First Timothy chapter four. I think that's what they were teaching. Believing salvation, salvation is believing Jesus plus not getting married. So Josh and June and Haley, you're safe, man. You're going to heaven. Right? kill so you should have done it two years ago, right? Not they, were, not they were teaching that. They were teaching, you should abstain from certain foods. Salvation equals, believe in Jesus plus not eating, I don't know, pork. I think I San said for dinner yesterday or something. So this is what they were teaching. believe in Jesus, plus you need to do something else. You're adding to the gospel. It sounds silly, doesn't it? It sounds dumb, doesn't it? Keep in mind, these were people living in idolatry land 2,000 years ago. These things make sense to them. But there are modern versions of these false teachings. Did you know this? Salvation equals believing in Jesus plus, When back in when I was young, believing in Jesus plus, you need to speak in tongues. Believing in Jesus plus, you need to have these emotional, spiritual experiences. Believing in Jesus now is what? Plus, now is, believing in Jesus plus, do social justice ministry. There's this pastor that I respected, he says, not only should Christians preach the gospel, they should also do, Social justice ministry, in order for you to be effective. I go, what? This pastor guy? Believing in Jesus plus something else. That's what these guys were teaching. Why is such teaching dangerous? It's dangerous. Because it makes the Christian faith nonsensical. And and adding to this gospel is not true. And, And these untrue gospel nullifies the spiritual power of the gospel. Adding anything but Jesus Christ for salvation nullifies the person's faith. Went to New York. Loved certain parts of it. Hated certain parts of it. Right? The best part of it, I think, I went to the Chinese Korean restaurant. The best dining room I ever had. On 35th and 6th Avenue. Go. Go and prove I'm I'm right. One of the best highlights. Went to the Carnegie Hall. Listened to some junior musicians. Fantastic. Didn't think I liked it, but I liked it. It was all good. But the worst experience I had Museum of Modern Art in Midtown. And why did I have such a bad time there? I went there and I looked at the art. And I thought it was all nonsense. I'm a fan of modern art. If I am rich as Joe Pack thinks I'm rich, then I will buy... I won't buy a Picasso. I won't buy a Da Vinci. I would buy a Mark Rothko. He's a modern artist. He died in the 1960s. I'm a big fan of modern art. But the art pieces in MoMA, as they say, was just nonsense. The epitome of nonsense was on the sixth floor of MoMA, there was a photo- like uh, f- modern f- photography exhibit by Wolfgang Tillman. You guys have heard of Wolfgang Tillman? Like, what, what, what was the title of the like, exhibit? The Courage to Look Beyond or something. It was some stupid title. And you look at the photos, and they're the most pedestrian, obscene, meaningless photos. Ever. He shoots a flying Concorde, Concorde that is flying. He shoots a flying airplane and pictures it as art. That's the tamest one. The other one is just, he's just perverted. And they place it as that is art. And I go, this is art. You're devoting your entire floor in this expensive real estate, to that? Oh, don't judge me. Because I want, I want to be fair to him. I Googled him. I watched interviews with him. It's nonsense, what he's saying. So don't hate me, Jamie. It's nonsense. They're celebrating nonsense, these New Yorkers. I had to get out of there. So despite the $60 admission ticket, I went, I, oh, all all, all three of us, Sean, don't, don't, don't get, close your eyes. For all three, for all, for all four of us, Sean, relax, right? I'd be more upset if it was $60 per person. I would, I would like, I would be protesting outside, right? Nonsense. Paul is warning against false teachers. Because if you listen to the false te- what they what if you listen to the false teachers, they're preaching nonsense. And you listen when you listen to nonsense, your faith will be nonsense. That's what he says, right? In verse six, is it? What does he say in verse six? Joe, do a kindness for me. What, Paul, what does Paul say in verse six? Not verse 5, buddy, but verse 6. Certain persons, false teachers, by swerving from these, the true doctrine, have wandered away into vain discussion. Vain is useless. That's what it means. These false teachings that they have is useless. And if you listen to these false teachings, and if you live your life based on these false teachings it would be useless. Let's say Josh listened to these false teachers. And Josh says, yep, I'm not going to get married. I love Jesus. And I'm not going to get married. And therefore, I'm going to live my life that way. Paul's saying, listening to that teaching, Josh's faith will be useless. Verse 5. Paul says, the aim of our charge. The word charge here means teaching instruction." He says, the goal of our teaching is love, love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. He says, why am I teaching these things? The goal of me teaching proper doctrine, it is so that you will have a pure heart, a pure conscience, a sincere faith. That will lead to love. Paul is saying, I'm not just teaching this so that you be more, you'll, you'll be filled with head knowledge. I'm not teaching you this so that you'll be a more informed Christian. Paul is saying, these instructions are the very power in which that will purify your heart, that will purify your conscience, that will give you a sincere faith. And when you have a pure heart, a good conscience, and, 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 and a sincere faith, these three things come together and make you a loving person towards God and to other people. The goal of Paul's teaching is not information, but an inward transformation that leads to love. What he's saying here is this. You cannot love God and you cannot love the people around you, especially those whom you're closest to. Unless your heart is pure, your, your conscience is pure, unless you're, you have sincere faith that comes from hearing proper doctrine. That's what he's saying. The way you, become, the way you grow in love towards God and towards love for every human being around you is let sound doctrine do its work to transform you. That's the only way that you will grow in love. How do I become a more loving wife, you say? Why do I start with wife? I don't know, maybe because she's here. How do I know that you become a more transformative, loving wife? Let the word of God change your heart to be pure, for your conscience to be pure, for your faith to be sincere. How do you love God more? Do we love God more by singing these songs over and over and over again? No, you love God more by letting the word of God purify your heart, giving you a good conscience, giving you a sincere faith. The word of God is the only avenue is the only method through which God transforms you so that you will be a more loving person. Guys, look, listen to me. Modern people don't think they need the word of God because they think they have the power to love within them. They think they have the wisdom to live this life within them. They think they have the power and, and power and insight to live this life wisely within them. Paul says, "No, you do not." You don't have the power to love anyone. You don't have the you don't really have wisdom to any to do anything significant. You need to let the word of God work in you to give you a pure heart, to give you a pure conscience, to give you a pure faith. This is your faith. What is a pure heart? A pure heart is a heart that is cleansed from evil. Cleansed from sin. Sin is wanting to go. Sin is a condition where you don't want to recognize God and don't want to live subject to Him. That's what sin is. A purified heart is a heart that is cleansed of that. A purified heart no longer is resistant to God. No longer thinks I'm an independent agent. A purified heart is a heart that knows that they belong to God and want to submit to His will. Our purified heart knows this life belongs to God and you're subject to God. An unpurified heart me, thinks you are the master of your own d- destiny and you don't need anything else from God. You have the power to love from within you. You have the wisdom to live life with from within you. That's insane and that's, an, that, that's a sinful heart. A purified heart. It's a heart that says, God is all, and I am his subject, and I desire to obey him. That's a purified heart. What is a good conscience? What is a pure conscience? What is a good conscience? Conscious is the inner voice that you have that can distinguish between right and wrong, right? It's the inner, is your, your mind's ability to distinguish between right and wrong. But it is not only your ability to distinguish between right and wrong, your conscience also tells you, condemns you if you do wrong. Your conscience condemns you, tells you that you're worthless when you do something wrong. Your conscience tells you what right and wrong is, but it also condemns you when you do something wrong. The thing about being, being born in a sinful condition is you know subconsciously that you disobey God and you're in the wrong. Subconsciously, you know you're not acceptable because your conscience is telling you. You're not recognizing God and you're going against him. Believers and unbelievers all are all born with this guilty conscience. How do you know? Most people spend their entire lives trying to prove their conscience wrong. Your conscience is telling you that you're worthless, you're incorrect, you're guilty. You try to camouflage, you try to prove your conscience wrong through achievements, through beauty. Through other people's acceptance, you believe if other people accept me, then my conscience is wrong. My conscience telling me that I'm worthless. I want to prove it wrong by 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 oh, by receiving other people's approval. My conscience telling me that I'm worthless. I want to prove it wrong by becoming successful my conscience is telling me that I'm wrong that I'm worthless I'm going to prove it wrong but becoming more beautiful one of the issues that I had with New York is like my criticism against New York this whole sermon as I was walking down Soho with all these fancy shops I couldn't but help think People are spending all this money on these clothes to prove something to themselves and to other people. When you go to Soho, every designer, famous fashion designer known to man, is there. Is have a shop there. I go into a couple of places to use a bathroom. My wife was very smart. We went to a Celine store just to use the bathroom. Fantastic. But these bags are $5,000. These jackets are $2,000. My son tried out a Tom Ford leather jacket. $2,000. It's a good jacket. Why is there a need to spend this money on these clothes? Beauty is one fine. But they're trying to prove their conscience wrong. Naturally, they're born with the understanding that there's something not right with them. And they try to camouflage it with all these beautiful items. It makes me very sad. We're born with a guilty conscience. But when the gospel is communicated effectively, when the gospel says, yeah, you're guilty before, the reason you feel guilty is because you're you're not acknowledging God, you're guilty before God. And yet God finds you acceptable in Jesus Christ. When your conscience finally grasps the truth of that, your conscience is free. And when your conscience is free, when you know that despite the fact that you are unworthy, despite the fact that you are not perfect, but know that God accepted you in Christ, when that becomes a reality, your faith becomes sincere. It becomes real. And you see, God no longer becomes a Santa Claus-like type of person. God becomes an absolute reality. And when God becomes an absolute reality, you cannot help but to love him and love the people around you. Paul says the aim of our teaching is so that you and my heart will be pure. Our conscience will be good and free. And our faith will be sincere. So that we can love God and love others. That's the goal of the teaching. And there is no other way that these things will happen apart from the true doctrine of God. What is our church called to be more than anything else? A church where the doctrine of God and the gospel is clearly communicated on a weekly basis. Not just on a weekly basis, on a daily basis if we could. Guys, I'll end soon. No one sighed today, so I'll end soon. Let's analyze our spiritual condition. You know, new year, new resolutions and whatnot. But let's really analyze our spiritual condition. how much do you know about God? Not in a personal, experiential way. Not in I had a really good spiritual experience back in the day type of thing. But how much do you really constantly know God? Can you describe him to me? Can you describe the gospel to me? Can you describe why loving is so important to God? How much do you, can you articulate to yourself and to me who God is? We can do it because God reveals himself through his word. Perhaps all the spiritual issues of your life, whether it be an addiction, whether it be an unforgiveness, whether it be a depression and self-condemnation. All these spiritual issues of your life comes from the fact that perhaps you don't have a clear idea about God as much as you think you do. There is no separation between your understanding of God and spiritual living. That's what Paul is saying in verse 5. The fruit of your life is directly connected to your understanding about God. And you see this and embrace. Do you know this? People who started leading small group, they say their life starts to change. Why? Because they start to, because of their position, they actually start to think about God more than they would if they weren't leading small group. All the small group leaders tell me once they started leading small group, their thinking, which their thinking starts to change, and they and they and, and and they start maturing. It's not just reserved for small group leaders, but that's for, for everyone. You cannot grow in holiness unless your mind starts to grasp a deeper understanding about God so that you will be able to articulate to Him and to the people around you who God is. And none of this experiential... Th- you cannot base your Christianity based on experience but on the solid understanding about God. Look, last story, Carnegie Hall, God bless them. When I walked in, I go, uh-oh, here we go again. Classical music, here we go. It's my duty as a husband to do it. Oh, my Atlanta. I would rather be an avatar. on oh, me not, right? So I, I stand there. I sit there, I go. And they start playing. And I was bored. But then I remembered. God is the one who created music and this music glorifies God. This music is a celebration of who Christ is. Christ is the founder of this music. This music exists for Christ. When I started to have, have that understanding, I started to look at more I look at, I started to look at these musicians more closely. And guess what? I found them vastly interesting if God can transform my heart to love classical music, what can he not do for you? It's a miracle, man. That's how it works, you see. This example seems innocuous, but everything has to bleed into, the knowledge of God has to bleed into every aspect of your life. That's how you change. That's why false teachers are so deadly. And that's why Paul warns against them. In the year 2023, don't skip small group. Don't skip private devotions. Don't skip Sunday. Every opportunity that God gives you to learn more about him, take up him up him up on that opportunity so that you will grow in him. So that you will grow in love and holiness. Let's pray. Lord, the greatest gift that you bestow upon the church of your people is the word of God.